and welcome to Twigged. A light-hearted plant-based podcast exploring the vegetal roots of history and folklore. What might kill you and what makes a decent snack. I'm Alex, I'm a plant and history enthusiast, and I'm back to being quite keen on nature now that the sun's out because I went off it for a while. Hi, I'm Alice, and I am a plant-eating expert and a plant-growing amateur. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, I've seen her tomato plants, they're not doing very well. They're sad, yeah. quite near death. Welcome to Live Twig. Live Twig. Oh not really I mean, live, it's not live, but, but we're um, live. Yeah. For each other, not for anyone who's listening. <laughs> it's really weird that I can look at you. I, I kind of feel like I shouldn't be looking at you. <laughs> so this week we've got a very exciting one. It is a listener suggestion. Cherry trees. Cherry trees. Cherry trees are from the Rosaceae family, which you may remember is the same family as the hawthorn trees that and we did. And the rowan tree. And the rowan tree. We love a rosacea. We, we love it. <laughs> it's just, we can't get enough. <laughs> so we've got two main species that grow wild in the UK, and they are the wild cherry and the bird cherry, Prunus avium and Prunus padus, which I found super confusing at first, and I'm really grateful to the website called Great British Life for clarifying which was which, because to me it made sense that Prunus avium would be the bird cherry, but that is incorrect. Prunus avium is the wild cherry, and Prunus padus is the bird cherry. Yeah. So cherry comes from the word cerise in French, or cereza in Spanish, which comes from Sarasim, which is a city which is now called Gerson in northern Turkey. And that's where some cherry trees originated from. That's interesting because Turkey is currently the world's largest producer of cherries. Are they? Yeah. That is awesome, but also makes sense because when you go there, there's tons of sour cherry juice everywhere. Yeah. And it's delicious. Oh, I love it. Aside from wild cherry and bird cherry that we have here in the UK, there are tons of other species and cultivars around the world. Even wild cherry, every continent, I think, has their own version of wild cherry. So the one we have isn't the same wild cherry that they have in North America, for example. Japan, for instance, has loads of different cultivars. And there are cherry trees all over the place, mostly native to the temperate regions of the northern hemisphere. So like North America, Europe, North Africa, Asia... But they're really widespread. And as I said, you have different wild versions in each place. There are actually more than a thousand varieties. And roughly about half of them are sweet cherries and half are tart. But only about 20 of the varieties are commercially produced. Random fact, the average cherry tree has around 7,000 cherries on them. Um, and the way they're harvested nowadays is really like quite interesting. Because obviously it would take forever to hand pick all of those cherries. So they have these like cherry tree shaking machines um, that are like specifically made for the purpose. And it's like a piece of machinery that comes and shakes the cherry tree just hard enough to make all of the cherries fall off. That's awesome. I thought it was incredible. Someone had made this massive piece of equipment just to be like a cherry tree shaker. (laughs) Um, So it was recorded that a cultivated cherry tree was brought from Anatolia or the Pontus region, which is now Turkey for the most part. And it was brought to Rome in about 72 BC by the Roman general who was called Lucius Licinius Lucullus. 
Excellent name. If I'm saying that right. That's some good alliteration from really, his parents. <laughs> really good. So yeah, I think that's when that's when the cherry tree first made it all the way to Italy. And the cherry trees were introduced in England by order of King Henry VIII after he tasted them in Flanders in Belgium, apparently. Really? That's awesome. And that is how they made it over to these shores. Excellent. While we're on the Romans, apparently Roman soldiers were given cherries as part of their rations. And as they walked along on their travels and discarded the pits, the cherry trees grew from these pits. So there's a saying to find the old Roman roads, simply follow the cherry trees. I thought that was fun. That's really fun. I, I don't care if it's true or not. I, I like it. <laughs> They need loads of sunlight in order to produce fruits. So if they're really deep in the forest, they won't. But scattering pips around kind of roadsides is perfect because they'll end up getting lots of sun. And you tend to find the better cherry trees that yield the most fruit on the edges of the forest where they can soak up the most sun. Yeah. I can just picture the Roman soldiers in their full, like, battle regalia, just, like, wandering around spitting out cherries. Having a lovely sweet treat. (laughs) (laughs) So the wild cherry is a deciduous tree which grows to about 15 to 30 metres tall and it has green leaves that are quite large compared to the size of the cherries with sort of oval pointed leaves with serrated edges and of course it has the little round red cherries which I'm sure everyone is familiar with and really soft delicate pale pink flowers um, with tiny little stamens and I think one of the reasons the trees sort of look so abundant is because there's so, so many tiny little flowers that they look kind of, how would you describe them? This is one of the ways that the wild cherry and the bird cherry differ is that with the wild cherry, you get this cluster of stems that all come out from the same point and at the end of them there's a flower and then when they become cherries at the end of them you get cherries whereas the bird cherry they grow on what's called racemes or racemes so they have a little stalk and off the stalk you get individual stems coming off with the the flower and then the cherry at the end of them so that's a bit more like yeah like a stick that has blossoms on it as opposed to a kind of upside down umbrella of blossoms yeah which is the the wild cherry yeah it looks amazing and they've got some beautiful bark the wild cherries they have shiny smooth reddish brown bark with these gray brown or kind of creamy things called lenticels which is the horizontal lines that go across the trunk so it makes it seem like it's almost slightly striped like not quite because they're not solid lines but they kind of give it this beautiful looking texture and the fruit on the wild cherry tends to be more red and the fruit on the bird cherry is much darker kind of nearly a reddish black and in japan for example the their cherry trees tend to have more plentiful petals so both of the of the wild species here have five petaled Mm -hmm. blossoms but in japan you get the ones that kind of look like tulle skirts they're like big pink tutus of blossoms and they've just got like petal after petal all smushed together it's just fluffy and pink and gorgeous (laughs) alice can you eat them yes yes not every bit of them though the flowers are commonly used in japan for traditional sweets and tea They're pickled and used to make mochi, cookies, desserts. And then the fruit. So it it depends which variety of cherry tree you find. The ones that are bred to be beautiful and 
abundant with blossoms will still have cherries but they'll likely be small and a little bit tart and not very pleasant for eating Mm. but obviously lots of cherry trees are cultivated for their fruit and actually they are droops which I find very interesting. The the, uh, the name of the the fruits are they called droops? So a droop is basically a stone fruit, um, like um, a mango, peach, apricot, even coconuts and cashews are really? classed as droops, and it basically just means um, an outer fleshy part surrounding a single pit or stone. That's awesome! I had no idea. But... Yeah, yeah. So like an olive is a droop. I thought it was really fun that a coconut was a droop. So if it's a variety of cherry that is cultivated for its delicious droop, then Mm -hmm. that's the one you really want to eat. Wild cherries, you can get some that are quite sour, some that are quite sweet. It's a bit like luck of the draw. Bird cherries, you can also eat, but they have a bit more of the hydrogen cyanide in them. So they're not great to eat in large doses. Although if you had a little bit, it would probably be fine. But they're also quite bitter and not as nice. So you know what? saw the bird cherries let's go for the wild cherries although um in all cases the stones in the middle are poisonous so should be avoided yeah yeah so um the pips have a higher concentration of hydrogen cyanide in them so it's best to avoid eating them although like if you're going to make a jam and you kind of boil up the entire thing and then strain out the pips that's fine it's not like you can't have any contact with them they're not like danger it's not like the uh the yew tree yeah yeah because most people will just eat cherries by putting the whole thing in their mouth and then spitting out the pit yeah and that's fine i'd read that the leaves can be toxic certainly of the species that grow wild here they've been known to kill some livestock and i saw that they've had some adverse effects throughout the years on some children as well but especially goats apparently are susceptible to like death by cherry leaf which is quite (laughs) sad i don't know why i'm laughing that's really sad goat hater oh i love goats (laughs) but um cherries are delicious Cherries are absolutely delicious. And you can make tons of stuff with them. Yeah, do you want me to tell you all the stuff I we can make? I do want you to tell me all the stuff we can make. Because like with the potatoes episode, <laughs> I spent a lot of time just writing down all sorts of cherry dishes that sounded delicious because I like talking about food and thinking about eating. Fantastic. Well, let's let's get going. Um, so some of the most popular desserts that can be made with cherries are Bakewell tarts. And actually the cherry and almond combination is really popular. You see lots of, um, you know, cherry frangipan tarts and that kind of thing. Which makes sense because the cherry pips that you're not allowed to eat have quite a an almondy flavor to them, as do the blossoms. If you make cherry blossom syrup, it has an kind of almondy taste because cyanide apparently has an almondy taste to it oh wow yeah delicious cyanide (laughs) (laughs) um so some other really popular desserts you can make with cherries or cherry pie which is again cherry jam and fresh cherries cherry and chocolate is like a really classic combination you can make cherry gin in the same way that you would make slow gin just with whatever gin you can get your hands on cherries and sugar um in the same way you can make vodka i believe alex has some cherry brandy at home i do and i'm kicking myself for not bringing it and yeah it's cherries brandy and sugar and it's awesome that sounds delightful Mm. every cookbook my mom owns has got at least one black forest gato or something (laughs) your classic combination of dark berries 
dark fruits and chocolate. There's the classic French cherry claffy tea, which is basically cherries baked in a kind of cake batter. Cherries are also a really popular um, garnish for cocktails um, and mostly maraschino cherries are used and they are made with maraschino liqueur, which is made from marasca cherries from the um, tapiwa tree. Cherries soaked in syrup made from cherries. It's like, how, how many times can we go around the cherry roundabout? <laughs> okay, oh. I think I've exhausted you with the um, cherry recipes. Well, I now want to eat a bunch of cherries. Um, oh, one thing that I wanted to mention, which isn't really food food, but apparently the resin of the wild cherry tree used to be used as a chewing gum by children. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's fun. Cool. So historically cherry trees and their kind of bounties were used medicinally quite a bit. So I read that the stalks would be infused to treat bronchitis and anemia. The resin was used to cure coughs and kidney stones. Sour cherries were thought to have anti-inflammatory and antibacterial properties and were used heavily by herbalists. And apparently Henry VIII, who Alice has told us invited the cherry trees to the UK, um, <laughs> used cherries to relieve his inflammation because of his gout. Oh, yeah. And I've heard that actually the cherries do have quite a few properties, some more proven than others. So according to various sources that I could find, including an article I looked at in Forbes magazine, cherries contain quite a high amount of melatonin and melatonin helps regulate sleep. So apparently it's really good to like have some cherries about an hour before you go to bed. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in your cocktail. It, yes, in your bedtime cocktail. Exactly. Obviously, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> so cherries are also said to contain antioxidants in the form of anthocyanins and cyanidin. I'm mispronouncing all of this, but um, there are also, there have been quite a few studies looking into the effects of sour cherries on reducing blood pressure and helping the body recuperate after exercise, as well as its role in preventing gout. So from what I could find, these aren't necessarily confirmed, but they're sort of hypotheses that people are working on. And maybe Henry VIII was right about one thing. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. Um, so I looked up some health benefits of cherries and there are lots. Cherries are rich in nutrients like fiber, vitamin C and potassium. So they're good for digestive health, maintaining a strong immune system, blood pressure, nerve function. Um, they are high in antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds. So yeah, cherries are a real wonder food. Way to go, cherries. Yeah. Enough with the facts. <laughs> Let's move on to the non-facts. So apparently the bird cherry bark smells really bad. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was thought historically that hanging it up in doorways would repel the plague. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's a non-fact. Uh, <laughs> well, no, that is a fact. People did do that, but um, uh, no scientific proof to it whatsoever. They did do that, but <laughs> they love hanging cannot, stuff in doorways. You cannot chase the plague away with bad smells. I'm sorry, but based on the research we've done for this podcast so far, it just seems like their doors must have been absolutely heaving with plants at all times in oh, yeah. oldie times. That's a really good point because like yeah. half the things we've looked into so far, they would hang on their doorways. Yeah. If you were an especially paranoid person, you'd be like, and I have this against the fairies and this against the witches and then I've got this against the plague and then... <laughs> Jesus. Speaking of Jesus... <laughs> 
<laughs> Moving swiftly on to Jesus. I actually don't have anything about Jesus. I have something about Jesus. Oh, great. Okay. Okay. Jesus, Mary and Joseph were in a garden and there were some cherry trees and Mary asked Joseph to pick her some cherries so that she could eat them. So Joseph was like, whoever got you pregnant with this child couldn't get you the cherries because it's not going to be me. And so Jesus communicated with the cherry trees and they lowered their branches so that Mary could have the fruits directly off them. Well, there's the proof. Why didn't they put that in the Bible? I mean, I don't know where it would come from this story if it weren't from... Oh, yeah, I guess maybe it is in the Bible. Obviously, I haven't said it either. <laughs> I just assumed you were making stuff <laughs> just, just adding to it. It's the gospel according to Alex. <laughs> it's a late edition. Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke and Alex. <laughs> also saw that in some areas of Scotland they thought that the cherry tree was a witch's tree so they were against using it and they thought it was unlucky but then in other areas of Scotland uh, it was the wood of choice for walking sticks because it was thought to help the user not get lost in the mist oh nice yeah so mixed messages from Scotland but all of them fun fair enough yeah So I have a little bit about cherry trees in Japan. So the cherry trees are really, really popular in Japan. They symbolize good fortune, revival and new beginnings. And because they only bloom once a year, um, which to be fair is um, the case for a lot of trees, but they are said to remind us to appreciate the brief time we share with our loved ones. They also have the festival of Hanami every spring to celebrate the coming of the cherry blossom. Yeah, I'd really like to go to that. Yeah, it looks fantastic. I can't even imagine being there. I have a little tidbit. Mm -hmm. Um, So in Buddhism, the cherry tree represents fertility and femininity. Ah, sounds uncomfortable. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it actually said with the support of a cherry tree. Oh, yes. Um, Did you see the thing about the cuckoo bird? No. In Buckinghamshire, specifically, there was this bit of folklore that the cuckoo bird had to eat three meals of cherry before it could stop singing. Oh, wow. And there's a rhyme about the cherry tree and the cuckoo bird, and it, it goes... Cuckoo, cherry tree, good bird, tell me how many years before I die? And the answer is the number of calls the cuckoo does after. Oh, wow. Terrifying. Um, <laughs> I don't imagine it's that many. I don't imagine it's no, like I 50. I don't, I don't know that they're that, that chatty. <laughs> yeah. There's also the, um, from the Americas, there's the uh, the story of George Washington and the cherry tree. Yeah. Which I'll cover very briefly. So there's sort of this origin myth of George Washington, which apparently is completely apocryphal and was made up by his biographer later. Okay. So he was given a hatchet for his sixth birthday as a birthday present, which, yes, Alice's expression says it all. <laughs> what? <laughs> Give a six-year-old a hatchet? Okay. <laughs> fantastic parenting oh my god <laughs> i wouldn't even give a 16 year old a hatchet no, never mind a six-year-old i have a hatchet and i'm quite scared of it <laughs> yeah um so he went out to play with his new hatchet Great. and he ended up damaging his dad's cherry tree so his father wasn't happy and he came out in a rage and he asked george washington if if he had done it if he damaged his his cherry tree and george washington said I cannot tell a lie. I did cut it with my hatchet. And then his father was very happy that his son was such an honest boy. um, And he was, he'd much rather have an honest son than a son who doesn't go around 
chopping down trees. But this story is completely false, right? I think so, yeah. It was a posthumous biography. There's quite a lot about cherries and immortality. No long-form stories that I could find, but I did find that in Greek mythology, cherries were the elixir for the gods' immortality. Wow. And similarly, in Chinese folklore, there's something about this the phoenix who slapped on cherry blossoms in order to gain immortality. So I have one last thing in relation to cherries being linked to immortality and what you said earlier about cherries being a reminder of the impermanence of life. Yeah. So there was an aircraft used in World War II by Japan called the Yokosuka MXY-7 Oka. And Oka was apparently a word for cherry blossom. And these, uh, these airplanes or aircraft had a cherry blossom design on them. And they were used for what we now call kamikaze attacks, although that term wasn't really used, except it was kind of like a, an informal term that the press in Japan used at the time, but it wasn't, it wasn't the official term. So they were officially called what translates as the Divine Wind Special Attacks Unit. Essentially, this was both an aircraft and a bomb, and it was flown by a person. They were really fast, but they couldn't fly very far. Their range was really small, so they had to be carried in by a larger bomber, which they called Betty's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then they were released once they were with, within range of the target. So the Oka and its pilot would get close enough to fire the three rockets on board at the target, and then they would fly... Uh, the entire aircraft slash missile, because it was both an aircraft and a bomb, into the target. With a person flying it? Yeah, so that's, yeah, the person would fly themselves and the plane into the target. Yeah. So they were used quite a bit to sink ships or to try to sink ships and put them out of commission. So apparently the idea for these particular suicide missions was born from the fact that it sometimes happened that if a pilot, if their plane was compromised, if it seemed like they were going down anyway, they would sometimes take out a target on their way down. Now, it's not known if this was on purpose. It could be that, I mean, they just happened to be around a lot of potential targets and they would sometimes get one on their way down. But there's definitely one recorded instance of a pilot telling people before he set off that if his plane was going down, he was going to make it count and like take something out. Yeah. And he did. So apparently that's what sparked the idea. And then it, it gained traction. Yeah. Or not this specific instance, but the fact that it was happening kind of made scientists and engineers start to explore the, this, this idea. There was a really interesting profile in the Irish Times of a man who had been one of these pilots at the age of 17. His name was Kazuo Odachi. Actually, it might still be. The article was from 2020 and he was 93 years old at the time. Oh, wow. And um, he may well still be alive. And he, he did go on a series of missions, but they all ended up not, not going through to the very end. There were various failures, which meant that he is still alive now. And in the article, he talks about the fact that young cadets like himself were called cherry blossoms. Because they were like beautiful and brave, but very short-lived. Wow. So yeah, so that's that's the connection. And it's it's not like a, a tenuous connection. Like they were they were painted on the planes, the cherry blossoms. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, 
yeah, it was too interesting to to not explore. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how how those cadets got signed up. I wonder was it sort of made out to be this like really honourable thing you could undertake, or if they were kind of coerced into doing it whether they liked it or not I think both things happen so I mean based on this article primarily so he signed up for it because I think he was he'd already volunteered for a naval unit but there were other people who were um pressed into it well that that was like a fascinating story although very sad it is really sad there are really interesting links in some of the articles that I saw between like yeah the cherry blossom which is this national symbol but then, then also its transition to the nationalism of the Second World War and um, kind of being used as a symbol for these these young men who were not just maybe going to their deaths, but like the whole point was for them to, yeah. to go to it. It wasn't like, oh, well, if things go badly, you might die. It was like, no, if, if things go well, you will. Yeah, so. that's really strange, isn't yeah. it, to get your head around. Yeah. Right, well, I think that pretty much wraps up cherries for us yeah thank you so much to everyone for listening yeah thank you so much for listening if you would like to send us a suggestion for future episodes please get in touch with us our instagram is at twigged podcast our website address is twiggedpodcast.com we can also be found at twiggedpodcast at gmail.com and please tell your friends please rate and subscribe and write a review and shout it from the rooftops we'd really appreciate it Thank you so much for listening to Twigged. Goodbye. Bye. I do find that I'm staring at you in the eyes pretty intensely. I know. I'm Hello. like, hi. Hi. Welcome to Twigged. Hello. <laughs>